fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We do that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. Excited as always. And, you know, we're doing something really, really cool. We're going to be talking about monsters. And you know how much I love horror, though this isn't really horror, let's be clear. No, it, it isn't horror, but it definitely it uses horror in a very interesting way, or at least the product of horror uh, in interesting ways. And speaking of the product of horror, we have to talk to our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siepser. Ben, I wouldn't call you Damien, but are you on the fringes of that? I don't know. I feel like I had a very uh, wholesome, non-horrific uh, upbringing. So I think I, I, I don't know what happened. I think uh, maybe something went wrong around high school. And uh, here we are. <laughs> here we are indeed. But you seem to be broadcasting from a very interesting location. Where are you and what are you doing there? Well, Dan, today I'm in Monstropolis and I'm outside of the headquarters of Monsters, Inc., where today is the first day where they're not do using screams, they're using laughter. They claim it's 10 times better than the screams, but I'm not so convinced. Uh, we're really going to have to get down to the bottom of this. I think that's exactly right, and we've got the group together. We're going to get right down to the bottom of not only this, but several other issues. But first of all, I want to say, uh, you know, for everyone watching, welcome to our sixth season. Now, i got to tell you guys, i got a little problem with the word season, because in some ways, we have lots of innovations, and I would call this the sixth version of the show, uh, which we've done a lot of upgrades for YouTube. Uh, I think this is a lot of fun. You guys can't see yourselves, but do you feel the energy? Do you, do you feel feel the technology? Do you feel the innovation? Denon, uh, I'm looking at you first. Well, Dan, I thought you were talking to our audience and asking them if they felt the innovation and energy and weren't able to see themselves. Um, but yes, I do. It's really kind of exciting to, you know, experience new technology. And I'm going to like foreshadow some future events. We're going to talk about some future technologies in some shows that really are possible now. Though this particular one, I'm really looking forward to laughter as a source of energy. I'm excited about that. Perfect. I love that. And Ben, I know you're a man of innovation. Uh, what do you feel like for this upcoming series of episodes? Well, I'm just excited to try all sorts of new fun camera tricks and sound tricks. Uh, I think we've got a lot of fun stuff coming up here. And I am i can't wait to talk about all this new uh, entertainment that we've discovered for the new season. I I'm with you. And first of all, the first one right off the bat is going to be Monster. What well, we're going to talk about the Monsters Inc. world. Uh, but this was, you know, Ben, this is this is one you brought to my attention. Uh, this little series on Disney Plus called Monsters at Work. And you know, for those who don't know, Monsters Inc. is about a factory that basically is run originally. It, it, they they harvest children's screams in order to power their city. They then switch over to laugh energy. And Monsters at Work takes a look at the facilities department and a couple people who are inside of Monsters Inc. kind of running the factory, keeping Monstropolis you know, fully energized. Uh, you know, this is kind of, I got to admit something to you guys. Yeah, I'm the master of film and television. So when I say, when I critique something, people should listen. And I think you guys should listen to this because Monsters, Inc., 
I love it. It's a great movie. But I got to tell you, when I heard about the concept, when I watched this the first time, it's a very weird sell. It's a kid's movie that's essentially about terrorizing kids. You know, Denon, I know you have children. I can't imagine that you haven't had the urge to terrorize them at some point or another. So what do you think about this movie as a concept? And then what do you think about terrorizing children as a parenting tool? Well, certainly I do not agree with terrorizing children as a parenting tool in general, except for a small twist on this, Dan. When you said that, it struck me, you know, part of scaring is the fun of scaring. Um, You as a horror film aficionado, if I might call you that, understands that. And there's a stress release and there's a way of learning to deal with different types of terror. So I wouldn't call it terrorizing Um, But having the fun side of scaring with children is a really important part of them adjusting to the social fabric. And I think Monsters, Inc. really does this in an interesting and exciting way. Yes, the kids scream at the monsters and there's monsters in their closet. But what you discover is some of the things that are scary in life turn out not to be. Um, You know, we're often terrified of doing anything new And then that turns out to be the best thing. I'm not saying there isn't real terrors out there, but this movie is a lesson in overcoming your terror to enjoy the wonderful new monsters in your closet. Um, I I just see it as, as that. I mean, I would assume, for instance, for some people, the idea of math is terrifying, and yet they turn out as engineers like Ben. So, you know, Ben, I'm sure, understands this terror to joy transition. Yeah, absolutely, Den. Uh, you know, w- once I got to the those uh, advanced calculus le- levels in college, uh, I would say math was just as scary as the monsters in the closet. I didn't understand what was going on, and I had to just move on and stick with the basic logic and algebra. So I understand what these children are going for, and that I learned that the monster in the closet was not so scary, and I just need to become a digital computer uh, circuit design engineer and not figure out how to design antennas because that to me is the scariest thing possible in engineering <laughs> i like so much about you guys i'm terrified of sharks uh ben is terrified of antennas and denon uh would possibly use terrorization terrorized become a terrorist in order to be a, a good parent well so speaking uh, of terrorizing there's one thing i want to talk about before we get to energy generation because this was the weirdest plot point in the movie for me and that is that mr waternoose i'm talking about the original movie here mr Waternoose is kidnapping children and then threatens to kill Sully, one of the big monsters, at the end of the movie. Didn't you guys think this was a little much for a children's cartoon? Well, you know, Dan, it's the kind of thing that you sometimes worry about, and it does mean you have to guess right the age of your kids. Um, well, to, hopefully you know the age of your kids. Sorry about that. But you have to <laughs> no, guess that's an accurate count. Yeah, that's but, exactly right. But you do have to guess what level of movie are they going to be deal with and adjust. And I will admit to being one of the parents who was not always really good at guessing um, the correct age for my children to match to a movie. We did get this one right. They loved Monsters, Inc. when they saw it. And kids are surprisingly good at, you know, sort of distinguishing fantasy from reality and dealing with these things. But it does make me wonder, you know, he's clearly kind of like an evil mastermind character. I'm wondering if this is one of those transition moments in Ben's life um, where he was inspired mm. um, by Mr. Waternoose. Um, you know, not, not to throw you under the bus, Ben, but I'm wondering, you know, what level of inspiration was there? I'm curious myself. Well, I think, uh, you know, Monsters Inc. came out when I was in, in college. So I, I don't think it, I think if anything, it taught me 
the evils of how some corporations can become too evil. And you really got to watch out for uh, people who are motivated more by money and greed than altruism like uh, Soli and Mike are. I think no no wiser words were ever said, and I think that that philosophy carries over into the Monsters, Inc. world, because when it comes to power generation, you know, we talked about screams versus laughs, but this transition is very key, and part of the transition is about the ethics of scaring children versus making them laugh. But let's talk about this, this screams and laughs energy. How does this work? How do we change, you know, what seems to be an acoustic energy source and, and change it into energy. Uh, what are the physics of that, Dan? And I'm, I'm curious in how that works. Well, it's really interesting, Dan, because I was thinking about this a lot, and there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. In a weird way, we do this regularly um, with our wind generation. I mean, wind is basically an acoustic energy, right? It's a pressure changes and motion of air molecules that hit our wind turbines. And we use the one form of energy generation we know, we've discussed this on the show, that basically all human ener energy generation is spinning things um, and making electricity from turbines. So, <laughs> right, so we, yeah, yeah. if we were doing this, we would probably be trying to figure out a way to turn the screams and sounds into a spinning part, which is what we know to do. Um, that, to me, is the interesting thing, right? It's the engineering design. It's the coupling of the energy that's inherent in the screams and laughter, because it is sound energy into electrical energy. We never see that coupling. Um, and, you know, I hate to bring this up. It's probably kind of like an antenna because, you know, our most common conversion of, of sound to electricity is, is the microphone, which is basically the opposite of the antenna. So we're going to go right to Ben's fear here and say, <laughs> Ben, do you think they're using basically antenna technology or are they doing something radically different? Well, the, the good thing about microphones versus antennas is I can understand a membrane being vibrated by the sound waves, and then that uh, hits a voice coil, which creates electricity. Now, how the voice coil works from the calculus perspective, that, that part is scary, and I stay away from that. But it at least makes it's a little easier to understand than the invisible radio waves somehow vibrate. The only can vibrate an antenna that's of a certain length and no other antennas. Uh, that part, that, that's the black magic that I really need to stay away from. Uh, so, but I, I think in the end though, it makes a lot of sense. Like we can appreciate that the screams, you know, sound energy is energy. It moves things. We can see this, you know, on a minor scale with audio we can hear, like you can hear a child scream. That's because the energy is transferred to your eardrums, which then creates, uh, electric bioelectric signals in your nerves, which go to your brain and you can perceive them. But we also see, uh, sound on a much larger scale, like an explosion is just a big sound wave. So we can clearly see how audio can create this energy. So that part of this aspect to me makes perfect sense. Audio is energy and you know you can refine it like the monsters say into clean energy for their entire world of Monstropolis. So that's a great point. And I like that we're able to convert either you know, screams or laughs. But what about this, this laughs being 10 times more powerful than screams? I mean, is this more marketing? Is this more people just wanting us to switch over to laughs? How can a laugh be more powerful? How can those sound waves contain such powerful, more, more powerful or at least more potent energy source. Uh, I'm curious about that. Are there, are there any physics behind this, Denon, or is this strictly marketing? You know, I actually think it's it's very real. 
Um, but what I think is they misplace where the the actual calculation is going on of the energy because really what the core here, which you know Ben and I talked about, is the coupling of the sound energy energy to the electrical energy. And as you think about this world, we know that they can directly excite you know doors, lights, and other things just by the sound of the scream. So I suspect this is fundamentally some clever piezoelectric effect, right? Where you, we've talked about on the show before where pressure mm, right. is turned into electricity. So you don't need to see any moving parts. And the fact that it's a direct connection means what matters most is the impedance. Anyone who's put together their stereo on their own with wires knows you have to have the right impedance wires to go into your speaker or you don't get a good connection. And so here, I think the effect is really an impedance match. They found a sound wave structure and format in laughter that matches the devices they use significantly better. And it's actually just 10 times more efficient in the connection and mm. not 10 times more powerful in the source. That's where I'm going, which makes it kind of an uh, uh, engineering slash physics problem, not just a physics yeah. problem. How do you feel about that, Ben? Well, I think what's really interesting about that is there's a lot more headroom to go uh, in this uh, laughter energy. You know, we see in the original Monsters, Inc., we can see the comparison between Boo laughing and screaming. When she screams in Mike and Sully's apartment, she lights up just the apartment. When she laughs in their apartment, she blows out the electricity for a couple city blocks. Uh, when they're in the door room and she screams, she lights up the one door they're hanging from. When she laughs, she lights up seemingly every door in the entire world, which would be like 250 million doors or so uh, for you know kids of scaring slash laughing age. So clearly, clearly uh, laughs are actually mil hundreds of millions of times better than screams. And the monsters really need to work on their efficiency systems because clearly there's a lot more headroom. There's a lot more growth that they can get here that uh, as they work to research laugh energy and they really will have an energy revolution that the energy revolution we've been clamoring for throughout this show that we still don't have. Uh, maybe we need to look into child laughter too, just like the monsters are clearly going to be soon. I mean, that could solve all of our problems, wouldn't it? If we could just harvest a bunch of children and make them laugh 24 seven, uh, we could solve the world's energy problems. Uh, I think that, that that would be a great solve. But you bring up an interesting point here, Ben. I don't think I realized that, you know, I thought maybe it was a little more than 10 times, but you're talking about, you know, orders of magnitude much larger than that. So that might kind of cut my next question off at the knees, but I still am going to ask you because I, I, I think it still bears at least a conversation. And that is, you know, a lot of times, you know, we, we have a lot, we have solar power, we've got nuclear power, we still use coal power, you know, hydroelectric. We've got all these different versions of electricity that we're doing all simultaneously in various parts of the world. Now, why is it that this factory feels the need to move from screaming, scream powered to laughter powered? Now, I understand the untapped potential. You just, you just outlined it there, Ben, very eloquently, but... I think they're doing themselves a disservice because they have lots of trained scarers. Some of them are incredible. You know, Sully is, is, is a phenomenal scarer. You're putting all these guys out of work when, in fact, you could have a scare, you know, a hybrid scare laugh factory. This seems to be kind of what they should go down. But, you know, I'm going to bring it to you, Ben. Why do you do you think there are any benefits to that? Or do you think there's a reason why they are staying strictly with the laugh power? Well, I, I think it's partly because of the when... Uh, Mr. Waternoose is arrested at the end of the film. 
you have a problem where clearly the screams are becoming unethical. And also the, it, they talk about how the, there's an energy crisis and how the scares aren't producing enough energy anymore. So I could understand how they want to go, you know, fully into this new laugh technology because they clearly see the benefit and they don't want to waste time. But I, I agree that a hybrid approach could make sense if you're going to ignore the ethics of it because you you want to slowly uh, transition over to the laughter because you do have all these people that you need to retrain. And retraining someone from being scary to funny, uh, that could take a little while. And you need to, uh, you know, you don't want to necessarily, you know, there's, there's other ethics of laying off an entire workforce uh, inst instantly. You know, it's, it's good to have some job, uh, job training programs to help these people uh, transition to this new, uh, new and better world. So, you know, I like that they show us Mike's uh, comedy classes. And I think that as they're doing that, maybe, yeah, you, it might be better to have some screams to uh, offset the, the, the hiccups of starting the laughter system. You know, and, and Dan, I think that's why we have the TV show, right? I think at the end of the movie, there is the assumption that, oh, switching to scream to laughter easy, right? We can make kids laugh easily. Um, ben did point out a key thing was Water News does say kids are becoming more resistant to scaring. And that is a true thing, right? When you think about what our TV has become, what our video games have become, I'm willing to bet it may not even be possible, no matter how good you are, to scare kids anymore, Dan. And that is, you know, a key concern, which is probably putting the pressure on them to go right to laughter. I do want to quickly, if it's okay, go back. Ben made a brilliant point sure. without realizing it that made me realize about the electrical <laughs> generation here, right? The, the laughter setting off all the doors but only appearing to be 10 times as powerful does tell me that the canister storage technology is different than the electrical direct connection to the doors and other devices technology. And I think that's exactly the other place they have to improve here, Dan, is that the laughter when going to a door is a direct impedance match and lights them all up. But going into the canister, mm -hmm. they lose a little. So there is also a place, not only do you have to retool your workforce, but I think they should have learned from Boo's laughter that they could improve their canister technology as well. So there's two things going on here in this transfer. No, I think you're I think you're right on the right track here. And I want to bring up a great analogy. So I have this other project called the Stell Experience. And in that, lots of people who live in this town of Stell, Illinois, they're they've kind of gone off grid with their electricity. And I heard this great quote um, because a lot of people have a combination of, you know, uh, solar panels and you know, a wind turbine, right? And so I was talking to one of the guys who was there, and he said that, you know, it's usually sunny. It's also usually windy. Rarely is it neither, but sometimes it's both. And they have incredible battery banks that they use to, you know, when it's not sunny, the turbine's working. You know, when it's, this, you know, not windy and the sun's blasting, you're saving up all the energy. You know, it's kind of like the grasshopper and the ant, right? You know, you're saving it up as you have extra in these giant battery banks, which I think is the analogy with these canisters. And we see some improvement in monsters at work, you know, much later on. Uh, so I think you're exactly right. And it's this combination that, cr that I think can create an effective factory. If I was running Monsters, Inc., all I'm saying is I would turn it into a hybrid factory immediately uh, because, you know, Monsters at Work is about a guy who is the number one scare in his class. And because they're they essentially that industry completely goes away by the time he gets out of college, he's got nothing to do. And I feel sad for him. I, you know, this 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 switching it over is very difficult for him. Um, but, you know, we, we got the energy, right? 
But this, we got an interesting dilemma here, guys, because in order to get that energy, to get the screams and the laughter, you got to harvest it somehow, and you have to use these magical doors. I'm going to call them the magical. We're going to explain them in a second. But these doors seemingly go to very different places on Earth, uh, or if it is Earth, you know, it's another, there's monsters and humans in, in different places. But you you have this these doors, but they require energy as well. You have to power these things to get the energy. And this creates a very interesting system. So Denon, I want to talk to you first about the door technology. What do you think's going on here? When they power up those doors uh, and you open them up and you go into another world, How? Wh what are the options there on how that's working? You know, it's a really interesting question, Dan. And we talk about this a lot because we have all sorts of um, versions in our in our movies and our lore about transporting between worlds. So obviously, what one simple thing is there's just another planet somewhere out there in the galaxy or in another galaxy where what evolved were monsters, um, and you basically made a, a wormhole connection between the two, um, and that's something we can look at and consider. I think that's the most straightforward. You could also imagine, you know, we we're, we've talked about. Um, totally different universes, you know, for, uh, out of the quantum foam, these different bubbles of space-time emerge. So they might just be in an entirely different space-time and have to connect across what we might call different dimensions. Um, and then finally, you know, we've talked about the multiverse. We've done that in a lot of our, you know, Rick and Morty shows and other places. Um, and this could just be, you know, the wave function, you know, is constantly dividing and, and creating new multiverses. And way back in time, one multiverse developed monsters is the intelligent life. Um, right. You know, understanding how to get between multiverses and different space-time dimensions is sufficiently hard, Dan. I, I would propose we talk about it from the point of view of, you know, two different planets in our universe. I mean, we haven't actually mm -hmm. talked about wormholes a lot mm -hmm. on this show, and that's an interesting thing to think about. How would doors be the two endpoints of wormholes, which are fundamentally gravitational singularities, very dangerous to play with? I completely agree. And what is the energy source of a wormhole, right? Like if we're powering those, what's the energy consumption? Uh, ben, what do you think about this? What do you think about powering these these doors and walking through to another world? Well, it's really interesting because it takes a lot of energy, presumably for a wormhole. We, we assume because it probably it's manipulating gravity, it's manipulating mass, it's going to require a lot of energy to make that happen. So I think this is another more evidence of this benefit of using the laughter over the screams is that when you're to to make these wormholes to create all this energy you want a better power source uh which we get with that laughter you're going to end up with a much more efficient system because you're using something that's better that's just so much better to uh make those door openings happen Let's continue talking about this door technology because one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is there has to be some quantum entanglement element here, right? So they make these doors in Monstropolis and these doors completely mimic the door of a child somewhere in this other planet. Uh, I am guessing this is one of those things, Denon, that was founded by accident. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how the initial one happened, but what do you think about this connection between doors, this connection between the door here and the door or someplace else, a far, far, and a galaxy far, far away, but not a long time ago. Well, you know, it's got to be something about quantum mechanics being combined with relativity that solves two problems here. As Ben pointed out, any traditional classical wormhole that involves warping space and time to create this tunnel, it's just going to use too much energy. It's not going to be a really, really good way to do this. Um, we don't know 
enough about how quantum mechanics and gravity work together that perhaps what I'm going to call a quantum wormhole um, might actually require less energy um, and might look more like quantum tunneling at the microscopic level. And you said exactly the right word, Dan. We're talking about an entanglement situation here. And I do wonder, you know, the reason electrons and photons and all sorts of, you know, microscopic particles, we talk about entanglement, often a core piece of that is that because these particles are indistinguishable from each other. They're identical. You can't tell any electron apart from another electron. So I imagine there was some master craftsman monster who thought, ah, you know, what I would love to do today is make a wooden door. It would be really nice. And he accidentally yeah. made exactly down to every detail the same wooden door as a child's closet door. Um, and he caused this entanglement and he caused them to connect in a way that when you opened one, you knew you opened the other and then you could step between them. So, you know, and accidents like this happen all the time, Dan, in science. Ampere accidentally discovered, you know, how magnetism could make currents if you change magnetic fields. Um, the, you know, sort of the co core thing we use now, the transistor was kind of an accidental discovery too in many ways. Um, and I'm sure Ben, as an engineer, has had lots of accidental discoveries and is, you know, very aware of this because that's how life moves forward so often. Um, how do you feel about accidents, Ben, and accidental discoveries? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I don't, I haven't, thankfully, or I don't know about thankfully, but I can't think of an example <laughs> in my own life uh, where I've accidentally discovered something. But there, there's certainly all sorts of fascinating things. You know, we can also talk about like penicillin, where they discovered that this, this mold happens to have antibacterial properties. Or uh, certain uh, fuels were discovered kind of by accident. Like people figured out that oil could burn, you know, kind of on accident, things like that. So th there's all sorts of great examples of this. And I think this quantum entanglement, you know, it does make a lot more sense. As you said, the, the classical wormhole, it takes too much energy. Um, what's really fascinating to me is not so much that this craftsman made, craftsman made this perfect door, but did he also make this weird metal frame with the light? Like, did the doors work without that stuff? Like, I'm curious, you know, if it's just a quantum entanglement and it worked without all of this infrastructure around it, because if it was an accidental discovery, it must have, right? It must have worked without the lights, without the factory there, because how would they have known to set that stuff up in the first place? So I have to wonder, what were what were the other circumstances around creating this door? Like maybe he was trying to make a, a wormhole from like a closet to another closet in the monster's world, and he accidentally made it to the earth or something like that. Uh, maybe that, you know, that would, in my mind, make a little bit more sense than the uh, than what we've got with this just, oh, I have a door and it happens to go to some child's closet. You know, I like that, Ben. You know, yeah. there's another feature here, though. Like the first version could have been, for instance, very explosive, very dangerous, very brief, a very unstable wormhole. And the frame and the lights are all the later discoveries you get to actually refine and make it work well. You know, just like the first discovery of penicillin was probably not used in exactly the form and so on. I do want to point out, Ben may not have had an accidental discovery in his life, but I've told this story before. I did accidentally discover putting bare wires into a socket is not a good idea, and the idea of <laughs> insulation is very good. So I have had my share of accidental discoveries, which may be why I'm not an engineer, because my design skills are not very good. Well, 
I would say typically a discovery would, you know, imply that that hadn't been done before. And I'm guessing someone has probably done that same thing because I didn't discover that slamming my hand in a car door is going to hurt. But I've definitely, definitely done that. Uh, So um, uh, but but I I like what you're saying here. I'm guessing that, you know, to to put a button on that, that the the inventor of the Monsters Inc. door was not strictly a carpenter, although he had obviously had carpentry skills, but he must have had something else going on. He was obviously going down the path, maybe a wormhole path. Uh, you know, maybe he just had the wormhole, uh, you know, equipment set up in his lab and would just happen to be refinishing a door, you know, for his, you know, wife monster. Uh, and and that's how it all kind of, you know, came out. He left it downstairs and, and something blew up and all of a sudden he ended up in a kid's closet. Uh, that sounds really weird. Sounds like a very strange scenario. I hope that's not what happened to that poor monster. Um, but, you know, when we have all these doors, right? We see this very intricate filing system. We got to keep track of these doors, where they're going, you know, the types of monsters that these kids are scared of, the types of monsters that these kids maybe find find funny. Uh, we have to have this very elaborate filing system that seems to always be in motion, perpetual motion. You know, we, we see it both in the movies and also in Monsters at Work. We see this filing system constantly working. It seems very analog. Very gadgets, gizmos, possibly even some gear-based technology going on there. Uh, I know, Denon, I know you love this stuff. Yeah, I'm a steampunk fan. I like this as well. But how do you think you can have a, a completely organized system with just a bunch of gears and doors and maybe an Excel spreadsheet someplace? Oh, I clearly think you can, Dan. It, it's hard to manage. It's a lot of doors, you know, as Ben pointed out. Scale is a problem at $250 million, but I figure you just hire some really, really expert dry clean designers who have designed the systems in the dry clean ah. store, right? And you bring them in and say, look, I know you can do this for, you know, a few hundred customers. We would just like you to handle $250 million. Um, would you like the contract? Um, and I, I would love to see the bidding that goes into that. Um, you know, what I also like about the design is the compactification problem. You know, they store the doors in a very compact... The problem? The, the compactification the problem. I see. Okay, yeah. You know, okay. where they're storing the doors in this very thing. So you've got the filing system. You've got the physical design of the storage. Uh, I love how Ben described this as a roller coaster like experience. Um, they, they may have made the inside more complicated, but that may be what you need. Um, Because we sometimes forget there's probably not a single scare floor. That's what we see in the show and the movie because we're focused on this core team. But there's probably many, many different levels and floors in the factory. In fact, we see those at the entrance. So I think this is a fascinating problem. I would love it. I'm sure Ben, as our electrical engineer, would probably make it all electrical in some way. But I love the mechanical gears. Well, I think it is electrical to some degree. You know, we see these little hooky-doos that are uh, that are moving the doors around, and they're either I th- they they have to be motorized in some way because the tracks are very skinny, they're very um, th- you know th- there's not really room in there I think for for a belt drive, and th- the hooks can clearly kind of uh, move on their own th- without and at different speeds than the other hooks on the on the track. So clearly something there is going on. Uh, where the hooks are the are the motor driving these doors around. Maybe it's some sort of cool maglev system going on there. Maybe it's all magnetic. You know that would I think be really interesting. What is also interesting to me though is how the doors are seemingly ready to go as soon as they swipe the key card. So to me that also tells me that there's some very advanced scheduling systems going on, some prefetching going on. You know if you have this warehouse of hundreds of millions of doors 
clearly when they swipe the card, it's not like pulling the, the door out of that big filing system that we see. It's got to already be almost on the way. So I think in reality, what's going on here is that these door, this, this constant movement we see of all these doors is actually a... Um, that's like the schedule. These mo- these doors are coming up. You know, they know they're going to you know little Timmy's room at eight fifteen, and they're going to little Johnny's room at eight twenty, and so on and so on. And it's all prescribed. It's all scheduled out, and the system is organizing this for them because otherwise. I don't see how anything like this could work. <laughs> I mean, it, it takes a lot. You know, it's, it takes a village. It takes a, monst- a monstropol- monstropolis. Is that what? Monstropolis uh, <laughs> to run a door filing system. And I love that you mentioned the hooky dues because everyone knows if you're going to compactify something, you need hooky dues because they're the only things that are capable of withstanding the pressure. Uh, and I also I want to quickly mention I do love that they in the in the TV show they do have doors that go to vacation spots as well. So it's not just children's closets. I want to make that very clear. Uh, but, you know, we've arrived at one of my favorite parts, and that is our errors, additions, and omissions section. Now, this is things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about the Monsters, Inc. world that we didn't quite get to that you wanted to talk about? Well, you know, this is actually something, Dan, you brought to my attention. So I'm going to give you part credit for this, which is in the, in the TV show, we actually get the formula for being funny. Um, and you, re- you, you know, our viewers know that we are the masters of humor formulas, whether it's, you know, in the Looney Tunes world or whether it's, you know, in Tom and Jerry world. And so to see the Monsters, Inc. formula for funny was, was just very, you know, satisfying. Um, it made me realize, you know, that we're actually uh, ahead of our time in many ways. I'm going to claim we did it before them, even though the movie came out first. But the TV show came out after us. So um, we're on record for that. That was probably my favorite part, Dan, is is the formula for funny. Uh, are you not going to give us the formula? Do you want me to give it to our audience, sir? I have it written down here. Dan, it, it's, a, it, it's a secret formula, but I'll let you give it. I, w- I was going to keep it secret <laughs> um, and use it later in the show, but I'm happy to have you reveal it to the audience. <laughs> no, no, we'll keep it a secret. That's going to be a little Easter egg for you guys to go watch the show. But they tell you the secret, uh, the secret, the physics of, of physical comedy, which we obviously, as Denon just mentioned, um, we have that verified. We verified the physics and the math behind that. Uh, but Ben, is there anything else that we've that we didn't quite get to that you wanted to talk about? Well, I would like to praise the facilities, the engineering team going on at Monsters, Inc. here. You know, we see the Mifters, uh, you know, as who are kind of the stars of the show, as kind of bumbling, you know, not, not always the best at what they do. Although, you know, they do some good jobs here and there. But what really impressed me is we see in the trans... At the end of the show, you know, they convert to these larger canisters. You know, they're starting to figure out how to be more efficient with this new laughter energy. And overnight, they switch the entire scare floor over from the old small canisters to the new big canisters. So they've redone all these door frames. They've built, you know, ostensibly thousands of these new canisters. They've got all the the equipment for that. And they've done this all overnight. That is an impressive engineering and technical feat to convert something like that and do all that work seemingly overnight. So I really got to praise the facilities department of Monsters, Inc. for doing that amazing work. Well, you got to think about They went from prototype to working model uh, in, what, 12, 15 hours maybe? I mean, have you ever had any of that kind of turnaround in any prototype you've ever created? Absolutely not. And especially not with mass production. Like they Just to make those canisters alone overnight is impressive. I don't know how you stand up the equipment to 
press those canisters uh, in in just 10 hours or so. That is truly impressive. Uh, they do work at a factory, but I bet it's not a canister creating factory. So I, I also I share that uh, I share that uh, reverence to, to their abilities. I had a couple things here. You know, guys, I actually caught something. I believe I, I caught something very important here in Monsters, Inc., uh, you know, Mike and Sully are walking to work and Mike says, you know, you've been jealous of my good luck since the fourth grade. But we then learn in Monsters University that they met in college. What's going on here? Did they meet in fourth grade? Did they meet in college? Do they just think that they've known each other so long? It feels like fourth grade. Uh, I feel like I've found something here uh, that, that needs to be addressed for sure. Uh, I love that in the sushi shop in, in Monsters, Inc., that there is a, a, a monster that has a tongue-eating louse. Uh, you know, he opens his mouth and there's like another monster inside of his mouth. We talk about those on several shows. And I love that they explain Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster as banished monsters. Uh, that That's a lot of fun. Fun. And there's also in the TV show a 36 and a half hour energy drink. And Lanky, one of the monsters, had his, has a spinning bow tie just like Ben. I think I almost spun that thing around with some of the knowledge I've dropped on you. Uh, but I've got something, you know, that's that's all the things that I've got. But I've saved one more thing, and that's a question from our audience. Now, this one comes to us from Future Traveler 6119. That's their screen name. Uh, I, I wonder if that's real or not. So, what do you think about a system where people from the past agree to donate their bodies for future travelers, much like the organ donor system? Uh, this is obviously about our TV show or episode on travelers. Uh, I think this is a good question. Uh, technically, it's technically the same since the people are going to die anyway. Uh, this is kind of an interesting question. You know, could people, could the director convince people in the past to donate their bodies for future travelers instead of just kind of taking them over when they die kind of by force. Uh, I think this would at least be a more humane system. You know, uh, Ben, what do you think about this? You seem to be the the moral compass of the show. Den and I can kind of go <laughs> off the rails. What do you think about this? You know, that's a really interesting thought. I, I think the problem is it brings up all sorts of paradoxes, time paradoxes here. If people in the past are aware <laughs> of the possibility <laughs> that they could be taken over by people from the future. Yeah. I, I think it's bad enough that people are going back in time with knowledge and changing things. And then how does that even work in terms of time paradoxes? But if you then combine with that, that people in the past know that people from the future are coming back in the past, uh, I, I, th I think that's even more complicated than Tenet. And I just got to worry about how you work out both the ethics and the time paradox situation going on there. It's a paradoxical <laughs> nightmare. Uh, Den, what yeah. do you think about that? You've gotten us out of a few paradoxical nightmares. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'm with Ben. You have to think about the paradox, but it does improve the ethics in a large way because right now one of the biggest problems is all the family members and people around don't have any clue as to what's going on. And what's really nice in this situation, it is like it is basically like being an organ donor, right? You mm -hmm. you, you have consented with full knowledge. Um, you've presumably talked with you know with various family and friends and people about what will be happening, um, and and you're helping out the future human race that is clearly in trouble and and possibly yeah. on the the brink of disaster. Um, it it is a little unclear. I think it might actually help minimize the paradoxes because more people can actually navigate this smoothly, right? I mean, you were supposed to be dead anyway. So anything you're doing is creating paradoxes and probably making it worse because no one knows that you're not you. I think you could coordinate and control the situation a bit more if everybody was kind of in the know 
as to what we're doing. But, you know, I have great faith in humanity and their ability to work together, which may not be, uh, you know, evidenced <laughs> at the moment. So I am perhaps starting from a flawed perspective and assumption here, Dan. I think you're exactly right. That's why I maintain my cynicism. I think humanity is doomed because we refuse to work together, uh, as we talked about on our Future of Technology episode. Episode 100 for us, quite a milestone, both in my my, my, my legendary cynicism, uh, but also in the, in the futurism that, that we've gone on to. I would also say, you know, you would be an organs donor, not necessarily an organ donor, because you're right, doing yeah. all of that. Uh, and my comment, you know, just to add just one more, you know, to our paradoxical pie here, just one more ingredient. If you are saying that I'm happy to have someone take over my body, well, then you know you're going to die. And obviously the director knows how to save you. So why doesn't he just tell you what to do to save yourself so that you can live? Uh, I would have a hard time signing that that agreement with that in mind. Uh, but luckily, we don't have to face that right now. But what I don't know, what you, let us know what you think about this. If you want to get in touch with us, tell us about this show, about this question, or even ask us more about Monsters, Inc. We used to get a hold of. We are on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. But we now have an email address that you can send us your questions, comments, co general correspondence, or topics you want us to get into. And that is questions at F triple gbt.com but never fear we, we if you want to get in touch with individual members of the brain trust we've got the entire brain trust here you want to talk to one of us individually get their take on something you can do that as well dennett where can people find you well people can find me on twitter and instagram you just have to flip my name it's at den and michael and if you're looking for me on facebook you need to stick in the prof it's at prof den and michael ben where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? You spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you do any comments here, you can even comment on our YouTube channel as well. We will we may take one of these correspondents and you may be featured on a future episode as well. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you're subscribed and definitely rate and review. And if you enjoyed this video on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that could be misused by those who want to take over the world. So be careful with this information. Remember, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. 
you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening